0: Hi there, my name's Pete, this is Social Distancer, this is episode 214. Thank you for listening. It's been a very strange week in the UK, quite a heavy week. Lots of bad news, day after day after day. It began with the Meghan and Terry interview with Oprah that was aired in the UK on Monday night. And the whole week has been dominated by the news of the death of... Sarah Everard, and I'll be talking about those two issues in this show. Um, Also, we're going to be talking about COVID in the UK, and in particular, the report that came out about how ineffective the test and trace system is, even though it costs, at the moment, 22 billion pounds, and in total, it will cost 37 billion pounds. Um, also much better news in the US where Biden has signed his stimulus bill into law. And after the outro we are going to be going into Paranormal Blip for a quick blip this week. Now before we get started, um, next week is the anniversary show, the first anniversary I started this podcast on the 17th of uh, March last year, 2020. And so next episode, episode 215, will be published on uh, the 19th of March. And it will include a report from somebody that has contributed to this show in the past. I've invited those Uh, Guys, friends of mine that have contributed in the past to do so again with a bit of a kind of year review, you know. And the first of those is Emily in Tokyo in Japan. And so I'm going to be talking about Japan and uh, the impact that COVID has had in Japan next week and then uh, playing uh, Emily's audio, which is this brilliant summation of her year. So that's next week, and hopefully next week will be a lot more joyous than this week. It's been a quite a shocking week uh, in the UK, and so this episode is going to reflect that. I've noticed a trend this week that some reports uh, conclude with giving out numbers to helplines. So I'm going to put these here. Um, if you need them, you know exactly where they are. The intro to episode 214. In the UK, the Samaritans, their number is 116123. You can call that for free. In the US, the crisis text line text home to 741741 to connect with the crisis counsellor. So that's 24 hour support, obviously. Um, also, you can text Uh, from the UK the text uh, the um, crisis text line that number is 85258 and in Ireland 50808 so you text home to for the US and Canada 741741 for the UK 85258 and for Ireland 50808 The kidnap and murder of Sarah Everard has changed Britain this week. Now whether those changes are temporary or whether it's a genuine turning point, you know, we'll find out with time. The suspect for this kidnap and murder is a police officer, a serving police officer in the Met Police, the Metropolitan Police, the Police Service for London, the biggest in the country, and he has also been arrested and charged for indecent exposure. Uh, That happened a couple of days before Sarah Everard went missing um, to another female. The Met Police will face an investigation about whether it properly investigated that initial indecent exposure complaint. And also the suspect, the police officer, was sent to hospital suffering a head injury in his cell. So there's obvious suspicion that, you know, another copper came into the cell and, you know, communicated with violence. Um, but, you know, he went to hospital briefly, and now he's back in his cell. Um, but the context of this is, is really important. So I'm going to spend a couple of minutes talking about uh, where I see Britain is right now. So rape convictions in, the, uh, in Wales and in England have fallen to the lowest level since records began. Police recorded 55,130 rapes in 2019-2020, but there were only 2,102 prosecutions and only 1,439 convictions, so that's less than 5%. Campaigners accused the government of failing to properly fund services that tackled domestic and sexual violence saying the £165 million that ministers have announced uh, for domestic abuse in 2021-22 falls far short of the £393 million required. And remember that when I talk about the billions wasted, well, funnelled into the pockets of, you know, the friends of the Tory cabinet... Uh, in relation to Test and Trace. I'll talk about that later on in the podcast. Um, A study by the University of Gloucestershire on the relationship between stalking and homicide involving a female victim and male perpetrator found that in 71% of cases, the victim and perpetrator were in or had previously been in an intimate relationship. A survey by UN Women this week, found 97% of young women in the UK said they've been sexually harassed, while 80% reported experiencing sexual harassment in public spaces. Victims are having to wait up to four years to go to court because of growing backlogs in the criminal justice system during the pandemic. So what that means is that even for those people that you know make a complaint against the case, Uh, against the perpetrator and that case is brought to court, there's a four-year backlog in that time. The man is obviously walking the streets. Um, Every year in the Commons, the uh, Labour MP Jess Phillips marks International Women's Day by reading out a list of dead women. This week Jess Phillips read out a list of 118 women who were killed in the uk where a man has been convicted or charged as the primary perpetrator in the case since so 118 women since the last time she read out the list last year so this is the work of karen ingala smith and academics who are building up a database of dead women and they create they've created the femicide census These deaths are not counted by the government, therefore they don't have any impact in developing policy. So this is Jess Phillips introducing the list and then I play the beginning of of the list of 118 women.
1: In this place we count what we care about, we count the vaccines done, we count the number of people on benefits, we We rule or oppose based on a count, and we obsessively track that data. We love to count data about our own popularity. However, we don't currently count dead women. No government study is done to the patterns every year of the data of victims of domestic abuse who are killed, die by suicide, or die suddenly. Dead women is a thing we've all just accepted as part of our daily lives. Dead women is just one of those things. Killed women are not vanishingly rare. Killed women are common. Dead women do count and thanks to the brilliant work of Karen Ingala Smith and the Counting Dead Women Project and the academics and charities working on the femicide census, these women's lives and the scale of male violence against women can be known. Since last year on this day, these are the women killed in the UK where a man has been convicted or charged as the primary perpetrator in the case. Vanita Knoll, Tracy Kidd, Nelly Mustafa, Zahida B, Josephine K, Shadika Mohsen Patel, Maureen Kidd, Wendy Morse, Nagiba Alariki, Elsie Smith, Kelly Stewart, Gwendolyn Band, Bruce Williams, Victoria Woodall, Kelly Fitzgibbons killed alongside her two daughters. Caroline Walker, Katie Walker, Zabeda Selangi, Betty Dobbin, Sonia Calvi, Marianne Ishmael, Daniela Esperita Santo, Ruth Brown, Denise Keane Barnett-Simmons, Jadwiga Sigvjelski, Emma Jane McPartland, Louise Aikenson, Silk Herchon-Jones, Hyacinth Morris, Louise Smith, Claire Perry, Aya Hashem.
0: And the list goes on. In a radio interview just a few days ago, Jess Phillips said, Since last week, since Sarah first went missing, six women and a little girl Have been reported as being killed at the hands of men so it's not particularly rare and it's a fear that women live with it's an everyday thing on saturday tomorrow saturday the 13th of march at 6 pm there's going to be a vigil at uh, the bandstand in clapham common in south london and also there's other vigils around the country and these are being collated and, uh, you know, promoted by an organization called Reclaim These Streets. And you can find them on Twitter under uh, Reclaim TS. And they uh, uh, come from, or have evolved from, uh, an organization called Reclaim The Night, Um, a march in the UK against rape and all forms of male violence. Um, against women organised by the London Feminist Network the first event took place in Leeds in 1977 and was in response to the Yorkshire Ripper murders when police told women not to go out alone after dark during the march women carried signs such as no curfew on women curfew on men and that similar approach all this time like you know over 30 years later well for over 40 years later <laughs> is still happening when the police were talking to the people in Deal which is where this this little town in um, in Kent where this police officer who's been arrested lives when they were doing house to house you know kind of conversations with people that live near this guy they said oh don't go out at night i mean <laughs> It's unbelievable, you know? So rightly so, there's been a backlash against that. And the police are, well, obviously failing in a massive way in terms of taking sexual assaults and rape seriously. The last couple of days have been filled with testimony. And I'm going to end this section by reading out a very powerful um, Uh, testimony from a woman called Julie Cohen so this is on Twitter I think this is I think she put this up yesterday so Thursday I think Um, Julie underscore Cohen on Twitter I've seen the hashtag not all men trending I want to tell you a story about this photo it's not an important or traumatizing story though it is. It's not about all men either, but it is. And then there's a photo of her smiling and she's wearing a hat. This is a picture of me a few years ago at a publishing party. It was a fun party. I met a lot of great colleagues and some quite famous people. I've been told that my book was the top selling ebook in the company. I was wearing a new dress. I felt great, successful pretty. My dress was a little more low-cut than I'd normally wear, but that wasn't an issue. It wasn't inappropriate or immodest. It was a warm day, and this was a party. It was a normal dress, and I'm a professional and an adult. As I said, I felt great, until I got on the tube home. Across from me, on the tube carriage, were three men, middle-aged white middle-class. They looked like dads at my son's school. They'd been at a party or a sporting event. They were drunk and very merry. They kept on looking at me and sniggering. Finally, one said, nice hat. I'm a grown-up. I'm a successful, confident woman. I've been taught to be pleasant to people. I've been taught to be pleasant to men. I said thank you and smiled, then I looked away, but they kept talking to me, they kept trying to talk to me, they kept sniggering, trying to flirt. I knew that when they said nice hat, what they really meant was nice tits. But I didn't say anything. I was successful, pretty, professional, grown up, a mother, a teacher, a writer, a bestseller, I'd been all these things before I stepped into the carriage and they spoke to me and laughed. Now I was a pair of tits and a hat. I didn't say anything. I tried to ignore them. You're taught to ignore men, because if you encourage them, they might get worse. If you refuse them, they might get much worse. They asked me my name. I didn't answer. They said, you look like a Jemima. We'll call you Jemima. Now, these were really normal-seeming guys. They weren't scary-looking, they were having fun. I wasn't having fun anymore, but they were. In a normal way, three of them, one of me. No one in the carriage said anything. This is a totally normal story, by the way. There is nothing special or unusual about this story at all. Because not all men is wrong. I got off the train at my stop. I walked away, not looking back, until I heard them behind me. They'd got off too. They were following me, laughing and yelling, Hey Jemima, where are you going, Jemima? Can we try on your hat, Jemima? I told myself, this is okay. They were normal men. They mentioned their wives, their kids. They were just having a day out in London, had a few beers. They weren't rapists or murderers. They were just being arseholes, normal blokes, trying to flirt and banter. That's what I told myself to feel safe. Here's what these normal men probably did. They laughed some more, traded some bants, they went home to their wives and kids. Next day, they remembered they had a great time, saw a pretty woman on a train and flirted with her, had a laugh. Here's what I did. I walked quickly out of sight, took off my hat, pulled on a scarf, tucked up my hair, walked to the next platform, took a train in the opposite direction, rode it one stop, got out, took another train back to my destination, looked around for the men in case they hadn't left. I was on high alert all the way home, made, contact, uh, made eye contact with no one. Texted my friend to say where I was, held my keys between my fingers, ready to jab. Stayed in lit areas. In the cab, I pretended to be talking to someone at home, waiting for me. I was fine in the end. I was safe. They didn't mean any harm. I had never worn that dress again. I will never forget how, stripped, how they stripped everything from me – my enjoyment, my feeling of safety, my professional achievement, my self-esteem, even my name. Here's the thing. This is a normal story. This has happened to every woman. We live in this fear all the time. For many women, it's much, much worse. I had the privilege of being white, cis, abled, middle class, though none of those would have helped if they wanted to hurt me. We can't tell which men are safe, because even the ones who are supposedly safe feel enabled to humiliate us for fun. No men are safe. Normal men aren't safe. We are never safe because our society believes that the safety of women is not as important as the entitlement of men. And no, it's not all men. But it is cis men, even normal ones even the ones with wives and kids who think they are they are the good ones. A P.S. Five minutes later. haven't written about this everyday occurrence, I'm shaking. I remember how scared I was. I'm thinking about the men who are going to tell me that I'm wrong, I'm blowing things out of proportion, and much worse has happened to me. But this was so normal. Another P.S. Because I wrote this quickly. It's not just cis and trans women who are the victims of the normal everyday bullshit. It's also non-binary and gender, gender non-conforming people. Anyone who is not a normal bloke gets to be frightened and humiliated by blokes being normal. P- predictably, the abuse, bigotry, misogyny, transmisogyny and not all men have commenced In the replies to this post. So if you're moved by my story, please do not hesitate to report and block these assholes. So, this uh, term that Julie Cohen um, says, I just want to make it absolutely explicit Uh, cis is a cisgender person, so someone whose gender identity matches their sex assigned at birth. So for example, someone who identifies as a woman and uh, was identified as female at birth is a cisgender woman. interview with Oprah Winfrey last week, um, you know, I spoke about it a little bit in the old update, didn't I? Yes. we got to look at the fact that it is a money-making concern. It's a business, basically, and they've only got a couple of people to bring the fucking money in, get the tourists over here. And, uh, you know, you've got to keep them in order. You've got to keep them in line. You've got to make sure the press are on your side as much as possible. It's a very, very difficult job for these poor palace AIDS, and it doesn't help if, oh, fucking, look, look what fucking Harry's done. Jesus Christ, he's only gone and married a mixed-race woman from the United States. Jesus Christ, give it a rest, will you, Harry? This is Harry, I mean, it tells you something, when the enlightened person, <laughs> the enlightened person is the guy that dressed up as a fucking Nazi and had to apologise for racially abusing people in the past. This is the this is the guy, a slow hand clap for Harry. Finally the penny has dropped. He's realised the UK is racist. What a fucking surprise. Jesus Christ. How old is he? He's only a couple of years younger than me, I think. Yeah, maybe ten years, I don't know. I don't know how old he is. But what is he, his mid thirties, yeah? Something like that, probably. So here he is in the Oprah. Interview. Oh, by the way, I've got another Oprah, Oprah um, excerpt in Paranormal Blip. Beautiful bit of Oprah from 1994. But this was last Sunday or Monday over in the in the UK. Um, here he is. This is Harry. Finally, at last, he realises it's not just the bloody bigoted UK press; it's the bigoted people of the UK. I remember that. Um... The, uh, the Center Bali uh, fundraiser. Yes. Um, one of the people at that, at that dinner said to me, please don't, please don't do this with, with the media. They will, they will destroy your life. And this person is friends with a lot of the editors. And, and, that, and I said, sorry, just elaborate, what do you mean by that? Obviously I knew. He said, you need to understand that the UK is very bigoted. And I stopped mm-hmm. him I said, the UK is not bigoted. The UK press is bigoted, specifically yeah. the tabloids. Is that what you mean? He goes, no, the UK's is bigoted. And I said, I, I completely disagree. But unfortunately, if the source of information is inherently corrupt or, or racist or biased, then that filters out to the rest of society. And meanwhile, you know, um, Prince Andrew has still got all of the titles, all of the honorary positions that he... Has been bestowed by the Queen. Still got the protection of the Queen, and although he's not, you know, opening hospitals or whatever he used to fucking do, um, because the Queen p- thinks oh, probably a good idea to get this fucker off the streets, you know, probably a good idea for this paedophile to not be walking around. Uh, he still has got all those honorary titles. Still is being paid by me, you know, not just me. <laughs> But he's being, you know, kind of given taxpayers money. And it's incredibly rare to hear this, but in the upshot of the um, GMB, Good Morning Britain, uh, Piers Morgan story, Kevin Maguire, who's a, a journalist at the Mirror, who's very good. He said this on GMB about Prince Andrew. And interestingly, it wasn't snipped and shared by GMB on uh, Twitter, which is how, you know, a majority of people watch, I mean, I don't know, uh, probably more people watch the show than watch the little Twitter clips. But, you know, millions of people watch the Twitter clips of GMB. And, of course, they decided, "Mm, fucking, let's bury this one, you know what I mean? So I thought, oh, let's put it in the show then. And here he is. So this is... Um, Kevin Maguire criticising the Queen. And I can't tell you how rare this is to actually hear this, um, you know, on British television. It was live, and fair play to Susanna Reid, who's had to put up with fucking Piers Morgan's bullshit for five years. She must be overjoyed that that prick has left. Uh, Oh, by the way, on that, he's going to join either Andrew Neil, that's... GB News, this fucking right-wing shit. (laughs) I mean, I I don't know what the hell. Uh, Andrew Neil is such a disappointment, you know, it's really disappointing. Um, Anyway, it appears we'll probably join him or join some other outfit. Um, So unfortunately, you know, we have to just ignore him. Um, But yeah, so Susanna Reid agrees with... Um, Kevin Maguire here, and I and I included her agreement uh, at the end of this clip here.
2: The twin um, allegations of, of racism from Harry and uh, Meghan and the FBI wanted to speak to Andrew over his, his links to the paedophile and the allegations made by women, which he denies. Uh, they're very young women who were sex trafficked. Uh, uh, I think that is really, really damaging. But look, the Queen is sheltering. Prince Andrew, her son. Why isn't she telling him he must speak to the FBI? Yes, he he might have disappeared from uh, public life because he's too much of an embarrassment for him, but he's kept all his titles. And I could see now why Harry was upset he lost a lot of honorary roles with the military because Andrew has kept his. If you look at the list, he's still a colonel in chief of a lot of regiments. She's protecting him. She is harboring him. She, if she was responsible um, as as the monarch, uh, and I understand the pressures on her as 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 a mother, but I'm sure my mother, if I was accused of anything, would say, you have to clear your name. You have to get it straight. You have to speak to the police. She should be telling Andrew, you have to cooperate. Remember, they want to speak to him as a witness. Uh, that's what they want to speak to him to, to help and inquiry. There were all these women in, in America who were sexually exploited and abused, and yet he had this friendship with Epstein, staying with him in New York after he'd been convicted of serious sex uh, o- offences. He'd invited him, sandering him for a shooting party with Ghislaine Maxwell, who is now in prison awaiting trial on other charges. He'd invited them to Windsor Castle for a big party hosted by the Queen. And yet now, now, he is dodging the FBI questions, he has to answer them. And I think, I think it really, very badly on the Queen, it doesn't yeah. make him do it. Absolutely
0: right. You only need to look at the ridiculous week that we've had in Britain in terms of the, uh, the response from, you know, a bunch of fucking idiots. The guy, the Society of Editors um, executive, the kind of boss of that organisation that represents printed uh, press in the UK, newspapers in the UK, um, he issued a statement, Doesn't didn't seem to uh, consult with any, um, you know, black or minority ethnic reporters or journalists or editors, it just did it himself, it seems like, I don't know who he spoke to, but anyway, it went down like a fucking wet balloon, a wet balloon kiss, and... Um, <laughs> And he had to step down like yesterday. He did this ridiculous interview going up against Victoria Derbyshire, a fucking ballsy prick. And, of course, Victoria Derbyshire brilliantly scuppered him. I mean, basically, once every week, at least once every week, The Express, The Mail, The Sun, at least those guys come up with some racist bullshit. It's not, you know, it, it's obvious overt racism day after day after day after day week after week after week after week and you know harry's uh, get, got a little bit slow there you know i mean most of us work this out by the time we're teenagers do you know what i mean but harry is correct it is why do you think the fucking tabloids are still printing this bullshit after years and years and years and years but of course it is you know institutionalized systemic racism Throughout, um, you know, the world, throughout this country, it's definitely something um, that's been around for a long, long time. And even the beginnings of a conversation about it leads to such fury by people like, you know, that fucking idiot, I think his name's Murray from the Society of Editors, and Piers Morgan, who's a a funny character, Piers Morgan. He's basically um, a narcissist, you know? If he can make it about himself, that's great. Yeah, arrogant son of a bitch. So if he can kind of make hay by causing problems for government uh, spokespeople on the COVID crisis, then he'll do that. And, you know, from a kind of left point of view, everyone's like, oh, fucking Piers Morgan's the only one, you know, speaking truth to power. And I remember in the summer, I said, thank God for Piers Morgan because he was really the only one that was doing these television rants against the government's um, response to the COVID situation. Uh, but of course, because Meghan Markle cut him out of her life, he didn't like that. And so he's just has a, you know, obsession, an incredibly unhealthy obsession about going after her. So he stormed off GMB. But so this, you know, this pattern goes back years and years and years it doesn't matter as a black person it doesn't matter how much uh power how much money how much skill how much talent how much of an innovator you are how much compassion you have there is no way out of it basically no matter how successful you are no matter how pioneering you are um you know, you're still open to random acts of racist violence. Um, As an example, 1959, in August, August 25th, um, Miles Davis did a gig at a club in New York, just off Broadway. The club was called Birdland. And the actual recording of that night, 25th of August, is on the internet, it's on YouTube. You can hear the recording After the show, he went out, had a cigarette out in the street, took a, um, hailed a cab for a friend of his, sitting around, having a smoke, or standing around I should say, having a smoke, smoking his cigarette, some fucking copper, white copper came out, started arguing with him, and um, (laughs) he's just done, it's Miles Davis, he's just done a fucking gig. And another white cocker, copper, cocker um, bashes him over the head. Blood spurts out. And this is brilliantly uh, explained by Professor Farah Jasmine Griffin from Columbia University.
2: It is a reminder that no level of accomplishment, no level of achievement, no level of financial success or recognition even for that... Um, actually protects you from the racial hostilities of the United States. Damn, you know, like. There is no way out of this thing.
0: So first, the good news with COVID-19 in the UK. The good news is, uh, just a couple of days ago on Sunday, that was the lowest day of COVID cases. Now, it is going to go up and it has been going up since then. And it's just going to continue to go up and up and up and up and up and up and up. But it's going up gradually. And the good news is... There is a total difference in the relationship between case numbers and hospitalizations and death because we know that the vaccines are effective, incredibly effective and this scientific breakthrough cannot be underplayed. So it's brilliant that we're getting so many people vaccinated. It has dropped down quite a bit um, in terms of the the rate of the increase, if you know what I mean, so it's 23 million as I speak now, just over 23 million people in the UK have been vaccinated, with the vast majority of those with their first shot, obviously, but more and more people are getting their second shot as well, um, which is very good. Uh, now there are problems with the uh, getting enough uh, vaccines in people's arms. The drop off rate has been quite dramatic and hopefully it will pick up to you know 500,000 400,000 a day regularly it's been nowhere near that for the last couple of weeks and that's why it's you know only 23 million um and it was you know 15 million uh, a long time ago now like 3 3 weeks ago so That's good news. Yeah, good news. But we now also need to look at the bad news. The bad news is that there is a uh, kind of concerted effort by the usual right wing nut jobs in the Tory party to try to quicken the speed of relaxation and to get out of lockdown as quickly as possible. Now, Witty has been very strong this week on saying, no, 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 no. The five week break between each of the safeguards, uh, each of the things opening up again, safeguards against us going so fast. You need that five weeks in order to read the data. And if we need to put the brakes on, then we, you know, we will. Like apparently they say that they will, whether they don't or not. But hopefully that's enough because it's a balancing now between the number of people being vaccinated and the speed of the cases rising and therefore are rising. Yep. Um, so it's a kind of delicate relationship. It looks as if, although cases are going up, and of course we won't know for the next couple of weeks um, whether you know hospitalizations and deaths continue to fall. So the government have been criticised by the select committee in Parliament that looks at public accounts and works out what happens to the money. And they have very seriously criticized the government in relation to the massive amount of money um, that they have spent on the test and trace uh, scheme. We're talking 22 billion And another 15 billion earmarked for this uh, upcoming year. So that's 37 billion um, in total. Which is an amazing amount of money. A ridiculous amount of money, okay? Uh, Just to give you an example of the money we're talking about. A billion, what is a billion? It's a bit difficult to get your head around what a billion is. Well, a billion is if you were to walk... Um, you could walk for just one billion. This is 37 billion times. You could, if you were to walk, yeah. So say that again. You would walk 15 times around the equator, um, and that would be a billion steps. Okay, a billion steps is 15 times around the equator. So we're talking 37 times that (laughs) i don't know what 37 times 15 is but it's a lot of bloody steps isn't it so you know it's a thousand million i mean it's a massive number we're talking 37 billion pounds and this public accounts committee in their report basically said it's not uh, doing what it was promised to do the whole idea about nhs test and trace And of course, it's ridiculously contentious to call to put NHS on the top of that there. And I'm only doing it to point out the contentiousness because it's got fuck all to do with the NHS. It's ingrained and embedded in the NHS now. But there's a stark difference between this, which is basically run by private operators, Deloitte and Serco and various other big companies, and the successful vaccine program, which does rely on the local public health people and it does rely on GPs, yep? And that's why it's so successful because it's like, you know, working out, okay, this is the system that we've got in operation. We've had it for decades. Let's use it, you know? Um, And obviously it's far more successful than building something from the ground up. But if you want to funnel, you know, hundreds of millions of pounds into the bank accounts of your friends then of course you're going to have to work out a way of doing that what am I talking about I'm talking about consultants in January they uh, Deloitte alone said that they still had 900 contractors on their books and in February so just last month they said they were the test and trace said they were still employing 2,500 consultants at an estimated average daily rate of around 1,100 pounds with the highest daily rate paid at 6,624 pounds. 6,000 pounds a day, it's unbelievable. Like it's like totally, it's a con job. It's an absolute con job.
3: It's clear that an overwhelming percentage of the American people, Democrats, independents, Our Republican friends have made it clear the people out there, made it clear they strongly support the American Rescue Plan. Yesterday with the final passage of the plan in the House of Representatives uh, their voices were heard and reflected in everything we have in this bill.
0: So there's President Biden signing the stimulus bill which includes a cheque for $1,400, that's £1,000 um, for anybody that's earning less than $75,000 and it also includes children as well. So um, 75000 is about £54,000 uh, roughly, just a bit over that. So, um, you know, the vast majority of the um, working population, but it also includes children as well. So, um, you know, if you've got two, well, you know, you can probably do the very simple maths. If you've got two adults in a house and one child, that means three fucking checks are coming your way. So that's a big success for Biden. And we'll see what happens with the um, recovery what they call it the rescue I don't know is a rescue or recovery the next one the big infrastructure one he's um, keeping his cards close to his chest in terms of what that's going to include exactly and when it's going to be rolled out but you know I mean this is the difference with the success in Georgia you know um, he can he doesn't need to rely on the fucking uh, Republicans which is good because they're not supporting him you know um, so that this is fantastic. it's game changing stuff. and you know, hopefully it will be a massive uh, help for millions of people in the states. Episode 214, thank you for listening, take care of yourselves, have a good weekend, if it is the weekend, and we're going to think now about the blanket octopus, an incredible beautiful creature, the blanket octopus, ready, one, two, three, walk between the raindrops, take care see you next week so next week is emily and tokyo and japan and after this music we've got a couple of minutes of paranormal blip take care see you later song can only mean one thing. This is Paranormal Blip and today we're going to be focusing on John Mack who was the head of psychiatry at Harvard and a Pulitzer Prize winning writer. He won the Pulitzer for his book on Lawrence of Arabia and uh, through a friend in New York he met somebody called Bud Hopkins who introduced him into the world of UFOs and specifically UFO abduction. And John Mack then became the kind of uh, premier voice in collating testimony from UFO abductees, people that he um, thought were genuine, were legit, had these legitimate experiences no matter how crazy they sound, and I'm going to play you some uh, a clip from an Oprah Infrey show from uh, 1994, I think this is. And beforehand in the show, Oprah talks about. She says, "Why do you think people find it so difficult to believe in these uh, people?" There, there was a so John Mack was being interviewed by Oprah but also some of the abductees as well. And they were saying, John and Oprah were saying, it was quite difficult to get these people to speak in public because obviously, you know, they're open to ridicule if they go on the Oprah Winfrey show saying, I was abducted by aliens, you know? So um, apparently it was quite difficult uh, of all of the, you know, case histories that Mac had recorded in his books and all the rest of it. And the like, many people that he worked with, there was only a handful of people he could convince to go on to Oprah. And, um, but Oprah's very, I mean, she's, all, she's brilliant, you know, whatever she does. She's very respectful. She's obviously, you know, cynical and quizzical and, you know, asks the obvious questions that any one of us would ask. Um, but at one point she does ask, why do you think people are so you know, not, like, basically, why are they taking the piss? Why do you think that they don't believe in these abductee stories? And um, and she then kind of answered her own question by saying, I think it's because people are comfortable living in a box. And she wasn't talking about that song. Yeah, no, it was not that song. Um, living in a box... And, you know, just having a kind of order to their life. Yep. They don't want to. And this is the key thing about this, um, you know, paranormal blip series. The idea is to not be afraid to ask questions. Okay. The more difficult the question, the more important it is that we ask the fucking question. Do you know what I mean? And time and again, these people like Harvard, it happened to Mac at Harvard They basically had an investigation into, you know, what the fuck are you doing asking these questions, you know? science. You'd think that scientists would be open to asking questions, but you'd be surprised because obviously all of those things kick in, like, you know, reputation, career reputation, all of that shit kicks in. And it may uh, be changing very slightly now, Um, but also, you know, probably not, you know, um, because it takes fucking ages for anything to change, uh, as we know, as we've just fucking spoken about. Anyway, um, so, but Oprah says, you know, people are happy living in their box and they don't want to contemplate things that they can't understand, things that they can't control. And so this clip here is a beautiful, so he, this guy refers to Oprah talking about living in a box. So that's what he's referring to. And it's a beautiful kind of summary of the reason why I'm interested in this. Yep, it's, uh, it's about that whole thing of asking questions and, you know, not being afraid to open yourself up to things that may seem unbelievable. Okay, just because they fucking seem... Like, we're so like basically you know, like we're so we think we're so um sorted but we are so basic as a species so at the beginning of everything i mean just the way we treat ourselves the way we treat each other as we've discussed on this episode it is so we're so we have so much to learn we have so much to learn in every area and uh, anyway here's oprah
2: If this is true then what does it mean for your life
3: joe that it has changed my perspective of life dramatically you mentioned the box opera i think we can all relate to living in a box when life presents us with situations that we might initially say wait a minute this is crazy i mean every one of us what you've heard is we've all said the same thing when the information when we had the experience first reaction is this is nuts this is crazy and yet I'm a psychotherapist. I've worked with people in many different situations, couples, families, people with terminal illness. And I recognize that for me to continue to deny my experience was to continue to stay in the box. And the reason we tend to stay in the box and not want to believe this is because we want to believe we have some measure of control over the world, and we don't. The reality of is we don't. We don't know who's the next one in this room's gonna die. One of us is gonna die. My, my mother just died of cancer a couple of months ago. And as she neared the end of her life, she started slipping into the next world. And she saw loved ones there to meet her. She saw angels. And people around her are like, oh, my God, wait a minute. This is crazy. Because it was outside of the box. And what these ETs are doing is they're coming in and they're rattling the box. And they're saying, wake up. The world you live in is dying.
0: yeah Yeah, i really like that and that's the first time that the audience clapped they'd been watching these guys talk on stage for about 20 minutes and only then when that man said that did the audience show their approval in clapping okay listen take care of yourselves have a lovely time and see you later